Hey, George, how's it going? What's up, Kevin? How are you? I'm good, man. I'm tired after nine straight days of training. <laughs> We've been kick, kicking ass. And crushing it, man. Yeah, hell yeah. Um, all right, so who's our sponsor today? Well, so our sponsor today, our first one is Killcliffe. You can find them at killcliffe.com. And basically what Killcliffe is, is a is an energy drink company that's basically what it is, is like clean energy drinks. You know, it doesn't have all the bullshit in there. You know, it's full of uh, B vitamins, electrolytes, has, uh, they have three different kinds of uh, drinks. They have an Ignite, which is kind of like your pre-workout. So that has like 150 milligrams of clean caffeine, plus with your uh, electrolytes, B vitamins, all that good stuff that's in that Kill Cliff. You also have their Recover and... Uh, oh, no, so take that back. So while you're working out, they have the Endure. The Endure is kind of like a non-carbonated to get you back into the workout. If you're sluggish or whatever, it gives you that quick little energy boost to get you going. And then at the end, they have the Kill Cliff Recover, which is probably my favorite drink. I, I, I drink those throughout the day, probably more than I should be. But uh, those have like a 25 milligrams of caffeine. You drink them at the end. Again, B vitamins, electrolytes, and they also have the Kill Cliff CBD, which they have uh, orange orange Kush. They have uh, grapeiest of all time, mango tangle. So what that is, it has 25 milligrams of uh, CBD in there, and just kind of you recover. The CBD helps with inf inflammation, pain, aches, things like that. But yeah, check them out, killcliff.com. Use code survival10 and get 10% off. So check them out, 10% off, survival10. I don't know what the CBD tastes like because I can't get them because you drink them all. I don't drink them. Like I had two <laughs> cases in the thing. I came back over the weekend and they were gone. Wow. Like someone just, I don't know. Who, I'll, I, know I'll, I know who it is. I know. It's Austin. <laughs> yeah. All right. Our next uh, sponsor is Triarch Systems. Triarch uh, make pre-built and custom-made rifles, Glocks, uh, 1911s, and the Tri-11. Uh, beautiful weapons. Oh. Uh, really, really high-end, well-made nice. Uh, custom-built rifles and pistols. I've been saying it's like the last carbine or pistol you'll buy. You know what I mean? It's like yeah, that, that's it, how good the quality is. It really is. Um, I got a truck gun in my in my vehicle right now with a folding stock. Oh and, yeah, uh, it's I'm, really I'm trying nice. to get one of the folding stock. That's my next little pickup thing I'm going to try to get. Yeah, but they also do. Uh, they have like different services for your guns. They have uh, Cerakote, uh stuff. They got. They can get anything engraved. Uh, what else do they have up there? What's Training? Yeah, they got training on this stuff. Mm -hmm. So if you, you know, if, if you can't find a field cross survival course, you know, check out uh, Triarch Systems. They may have some kind of training for you there. So yeah, Triarch Tri Systems is, is really really nice yeah. high end weapons. Uh, and we have a field, we have a code for them. Yep. So if you go to uh, triarchsystems.com and you check out, uh, use code Fieldcraft, all one word, F I E L D C R A F T, Fieldcraft, and save five percent on your entire build. And uh, lastly, today we have KC Highlights. You can find them at kchighlights.com. Uh, KC Highlights has been around for 50 years this year, I think it is, or 50th anniversary. So, I mean, anytime you see the yellow with the KC on there, I mean, you know that's going to be a good light. They've been around for 50 years. They have a variety of lights. They have light bars, headlights. They have um, little spotlights like you can put on your um, your, uh, your your pillar lights, things like that. So if you're driving, whatever you can do, they have rock lights. So if you're going over train at night, you turn those lights on, you can see what, what, what you're going over with your spotter. Uh, they also have, you know, a different varieties of uh, lights. They have your Pro 6, your Gravities, your Flex, your Slim Lights, your Cyclones, your Carbon. But yeah, just check them out at kchighlights.com. They have every light that you can 
think of for your vehicle, a boat. I mean, anywhere you can plug a bat or uh, hook up a light, you can use a Casey highlight. Uh, I was coming back from that bug out course that night and uh, I had my Casey highlights on, like when I'm driving up that, you know, the yeah. dirt roads. Yeah. And they're, they're so bright, like, yeah. and they're shining into the woods. They're so, I, I, like I'm daytime. afraid like I'm going to see something I don't want to see. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's like daylight, yeah. daytime. Yeah. So, but yeah, check them out at CaseyHighlights.com. Use code FIELDCRAFT, one word, FIELDCRAFT, and then get 10% off of your order. Actually, when you had your checkpoint out there, you had them. Yeah, I had them on, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They were bright, man. Yeah, they were, yeah. But uh, tell us, uh, so who'd you sit down with today or on this podcast? So uh, Kevin Estella, who's a survival expert, came in to help us uh, run the Bug Out and Foot course for a week. Uh, Kevin is, uh, he's a high school teacher by trade, but he, he's absolutely a survival expert. He's been living this stuff for uh, the last freaking decade and a half. Um, he's written a book about survival. So probably going to be a, a future full-time employee for a free craft survival. Yeah. So Kevin came in and we sat down right at the end of the week-long bug out course. And we talked a lot about the bug out course. So uh, we give away a little more secrets than, than we were, <laughs> we meant to. But that's okay. I got that's a big, fine. I got a big bag of tricks. Oh yeah, man. we got so yeah, much stuff to yeah, throw yeah. at them. We're, we're going to keep changing it up. So, um, yeah, Kevin's an awesome dude, super knowledgeable, and, and really, really helpful. Oh, yeah. Taught a lot of classes. So, uh, yeah, hope you enjoy it. All right. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Philcraft Survival Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin, and I'm here with Kevin Estella, two Kevins. Yeah, I'm, um, your, I'm your guest, Kevin. Yeah, you are. And you just did a podcast with Cody Lundin. Yeah, that was a wild, wild experience. Uh, you know, that's a guy that I've been following for so many years, and to actually get a chance to give him the COVID handshake from afar and, and pick his brain, <laughs> it was it was awesome. Totally yeah. cool. Have you conducted a podcast before? I've never done a podcast before in terms of being the interviewee. I've always yeah. been the, uh, I'm sorry, interviewer. I've always been the interviewee. And, you know, to run that, especially with someone like Cody Dean, who was super old school, it was just, it, it was an honor. It was really yeah, awesome. It was just, it was funny the way the timing worked out because you're here to, to help us with the bug out course. And uh, I think the subject came up and I think it was Mike that said, hey, why don't you interview him? Uh, was it your idea? Was no, it Mike? no, yeah. it, was, it was Mike's. We were sitting in the other yeah. room and he said, you know what? You're going to do it. it, was, it was <laughs> oh, just, he didn't ask. No, yeah, Mike like, does that. He's like, it would be a great idea if you did it. And I was yeah. like, okay, I guess yeah, I'm going to do does that. that. Um, he, he doesn't really consider whether you want it or not, but hey, he's the boss. Um, and, and it was a great idea because you have the expertise to ask them the, the pertinent questions and, and the pointed questions on survival. So that was super cool, man. I, I haven't, it hasn't been uploaded yet as, as of this, the recording of this one. So I, I'm definitely going to, you know, check that one out. That, that, that's really cool. So well, here we are on Friday, man. It's been a long week. Yeah. And, it, and even before this week, we were just preparing for everything, mm -hmm. going up to the camp, getting supplies and everything like that. And, you know, it's it's crazy because I feel like I've kind of established myself here now and, and hanging out with the field craft crew. And, you know, you meet everyone, they start off as strangers and it feels like more like family by the end. Like yeah. that's that's yeah. the best way I can describe the the company behind the scenes. It really does feel like family. You know, you got like some folks who feel like they're, you know, brother figures, uncle figures, you know, like, you know, crazy uncle figures. <laughs> Is that you, me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you definitely you definitely take the the honor for crazy uncle, um, and it, which is awesome. All right, and, uh, I, I I I resent that. I don't deny it. I just resent <laughs> it. <laughs> um, yeah, because you were here on a shooting course, correct? And then you had a week gap between the shooting course and. Uh, working the the bug out course for us, and you just you, you don't want to fly back and get quarantined, so you're like, I'm just gonna hang out. 
Right, right. And I mean, I, there was there was the plan to drive to Durango or possibly going out to New Mexico, going down to uh, Tombstone. Like I had all these plans. And then it was like, I remember speaking to you over Instagram. You're like, why don't you just hang out here? And at one point you said, well, you can sit in on a long range class, which, you know, I got a chance to sit on on day one with all the theory. And that was awesome. And I said, you know what, this is the right decision. And it just gave me more time to see the behind the scenes. And it was, mm-hmm. it, it worked out like clockwork. It was perfect. Well, well having, having your expertise and your input for, for for, uh, and your ideas for the bug out course was like um, was huge, and, and we implemented a lot of those ideas, and they worked really well. Like the observation exercise we did, that was your idea. I've done it a ton of times in sniper school, where you hide like thirty military items or man made items, and you you put up spotting scopes, and you have them look for them, and you teach them the techniques of finding things that are not supposed to be there, and it ties into the bug out where you're moving across a piece of terrain. And it just makes sense to stop and glass that terrain first to see if there's something suspicious there. And uh, we we did it. I didn't know how it would be received, but they loved it, man. They, they really loved that exercise. Yeah, a lot of people, um, just for the listeners, on the final day of the bug out on foot class, we kind of left it up to student choice. And we said, here are all the options. And what would you like to see? And we wrote a long list of options on the door. And we didn't get to all of them on the final day just because we just ran out of time. I mean, we we did not run out of material. We ran out of time. And it was just a matter of, uh, you know, what would you like to do? And it was almost like we'd have to run the course for a second week because they wanted to do everything all over again. Mm-hmm. They wanted hand-to-hand combatives. They wanted more map and compass, more survival stuff. Uh, they wanted the the medical training with the, the nasal pharyngeals, you know. <laughs> it was, it was yeah. awesome. It was yeah. really a yeah. great class. And a great, a great bunch of folks, you know. And again, like, like you were saying, they all arrive as strangers and and five days later they're all exchanging contact information and hugging when they leave because you know not that it was that hard of course but you know shared hardship like that builds strong bonds and those those people are like yeah i I," you know you get to see people that are real and uh like i i i like these guys and some of those students i i'd admit the first day or two they were real standoffish and i was like i don't know and they turned out to be rock stars at the end like like super squared away and um that was just their personality, right? They're a little, little introverted, especially at, 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 at first. And uh, But to see them you know, evolve and just become really good leaders with that group it was really cool to see. Right, and you said the key word right there, the leaders. And the fact that there wasn't one established leader for the week, it was one established leader every single day, plus two individual leaders when it was broken up into Alpha and Bravo team. So everyone had a chance to lead. Everyone had a chance to, to step up and improve themselves in terms of, of bringing the group to where they needed to be. And and as you mentioned, day one, everyone's kind of feeling each other out, measuring, you know, their words, making sure they're not saying anything strange. And then by the end of the week, you know, they're they're insulting each other and laughing yeah, at each other's yeah, insults. And yeah, it's and yeah. it's a, and it's a friendly banter, you know? Yeah. I I, I don't want to give too much away because I want to keep a little mystery, but we're gonna Absolutely. we're gonna change it every time we do it. And we did it differently the last time. And it's gonna evolve and get better. But we we basically create a scenario where you're a humanitarian aid worker in a foreign country and we've been feeding them intel updates for a couple of weeks now that look like really old and, and you know top secret and none of them stuff and uh, we, we introduced the characters as like the the, the locals that were helping them uh, the, the, the local like, terrorist group that were a threat the federal police and, and we built the whole scenario up and when they came in on Monday we give them like an admin brief and a medical brief and a few things and then we went straight into scenario and we stayed there for the whole week and, and when we did the AAR we did a really thorough AAR 
they love that, man. They love being in the scenario and, and uh, being immersed in that role. And it's not like you ever think it's real, but you can you can fool yourself a little bit. And the more you buy into the scenario, the more you, you get from the training, you know? Had you seen that before, like that, that scenario type thing? Because you've done tons of this stuff, probably a little different. And, and, and I thought it worked really well because I, I have an extensive military background and you're a civilian, but you have an extensive survival and training background. So having both uh, inputs to the course, I, I think worked well. Right. I mean, like, obviously, there's no military background on, on my end. It's all civilian training. But we've done, you know, civilian uh, survival weekends or survival courses that are grounded in the concept of, say, like lost hunter. You know, plenty of hunters have gotten buck fever. They've gone chasing after a deer, not paying attention to the watch and to the horizon and whatnot. And then next thing you know, they have to spend an emergency overnight, you know, hunker down next to a tree, sitting on top of their backpack, stoking a fire all night so they don't freeze to death. But this was probably the most extensive scenario uh, we've given out to, to students or I've given out to students. And it was hilarious because it allowed us to stay in character for like the first 48 hours, which yeah. meant, you know, we're, we're part of this organization. I'm not giving it away. Yeah. But if anyone knows me, they know when I teach, I, I enjoy, uh, you know, getting people, you know, in, in a particular mood and, you know, I enjoy laughing and, and, you know, people have said, oh, you look like you're having fun when I'm teaching. And I really do. But for me to be in that character where I was kind of a jerk uh, and just short answers and, yeah. and, 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 and staying in role, I think it, it set the tone for the week. And then, you know, we, we yeah, were eventually it, able to. I think it's freedom for a loop in the first day, oh, yeah. especially with Austin, like being a dick, you know, <laughs> oh, purposely. Like, she's like, I just want to be a dick. I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Big dick energy. Um, yeah. So um, let's talk about that course a little bit later on. But mm -hmm. uh, let's go back a little bit and talk about your background because it's important to give context. Yes. And, and um, one of the things about you that I've noticed is you're, you're a freaking lifelong learner, man. You've done a lot of training with a lot of, like I, I uh, as we got to know each other over the last week or two, it's like you've done long gun, you've done pistol, you've done carbine, you've done a lot of survival, you've done med training, you've do, you, you, you're constantly trying to, to improve yourself, which is really, really cool. So I think you're a good fit for Freelcraft. We'll talk about that later on, but go ahead and, 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 and uh, just go back to the start and maybe talk about your grandfather and yeah, World War II it. and stuff like that because that that is a huge contextual piece to your life right because your dad obviously got it from your grandfather and then you he passed it on to Correct. you you know so Correct. yeah yeah let, let, let's tell that story right so to, to understand me you have to understand my my family background and obviously there's there's a whole side of my family from poland right like my my mother's side from poland uh and just having that that stubbornness and having mm -hmm. that that uh you know just ability to just keep going in, in adversity like my grandmother was a solid solid female she was 98 when she passed away up until her final years of life she was incredibly incredibly independent working in her garden uh she didn't want to be a bother to anyone and, and she was just this little old lady that was super super tough um but on my father's side that's really where the survival context comes in because my grandfather uh, was a very politically active person in the Philippines. And when he found out that the United States was bombed at Pearl Harbor, um, when the naval base was, was bombed there, the military base was bombed there, he was really, really upset. And my father has told me that my grandfather wasn't a perfect man, right? I mean, he had his flaws. None and, of us are. Right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so he, so he, had a, he had a little bit of a temper. And what happened What's was- that like? 
I don't know. You know? <laughs> so, so he had a little bit of a temper and he went to the local jail where another family relative or family friend had a couple uh, Japanese prisoners there for whatever reason, I don't know. And my grandfather went there and he decided to have a couple drinks. And then my grandfather being a very large man, someone who would bend nails for fun uh, and to prove how manly he was, he went there and he decided to, to clean their clocks, you know, and he did. So Next thing you know, it's around January 1941 from the, the research I've done, the Japanese Imperial Army invades the Philippines. The jailkeeper lets the Japanese soldiers out or Japanese uh, prisoners out out of fear of, hey, what's gonna happen if I'm found as a jailkeeper that's holding Japanese people in my prison? And next thing you know, my grandfather says, I'm not sticking around. I'm not letting my family stick around and anyone in the town that wants to come with me, you can come with me into the jungle. So they left. January 1941, give or take a month or so, to the jungle that was on the, the far end of my family's property in the Philippines. And they lived there from 1941 until at least August of 1945. I don't know the exact detail, but I'll, I'll say that my, my family in the Philippines at one time, they, you know, my great grandfather, he uh, had a plantation. He kept uh, buying uh, plantations and, you know, he came to the Philippines at age 14. So he was like a, an early businessman and they were very successful. In fact, if you look up the, the, the history of my family's name in, in that area of the Philippines, you'll see, you know, like the house that they lived in. Well, that house later got destroyed by the Japanese. So my, my father grew up, uh, he was two years old when they had to move in the jungle. And obviously as a two-year-old, you don't really have a lot of it capability. You're, you're a baby, you're a toddler, but he left the Philippines or I'm sorry, he left the jungle when he was six and those early childhood years, that's when he was responsible with my uncles to go out and go fishing at night. Does and, he remember stuff? Oh, he, he told sure your story, does. Really? Oh wow. yeah. And I, and I have journals at home with, with sketches that he made for me of the different type of fish traps that he that he was able to uh, to weave together. Uh, they used to go hunting with air rifles and he said how, like I remember being a little kid and he drew like what a 177 caliber pellet looks like. And next thing you know, I wanted one as a little kid, but he used to go hunting with that and they would hunt little birds and then bring them back to the family. Hunt little birds, bring them back to the family and they'd would, only really go out at night. Would you say that the jungle is probably the best place to, to survive because there's so much wildlife and animals there? I mean, it, it can be a harsh environment, right? right? But there is a lot of resources there, yeah. right? Yeah, I, I've actually never operated in the jungle. No, really? and I, I, yeah, I've been everywhere, but uh, not everywhere, but I have never done stuff in the jungle and I hope never to because there's too much shit there to eat you at night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll tell you, like my, my specialty as an outdoor instructor, as a survival instructor is northern forest, right? Like northern latitudes, that's really my go-to. I'm, I'm very comfortable there. I've traveled to the desert, obviously down here in Prescott, it's, it's desert conditions. I've been to tropical rainforests and things like that. The, the jungle's no joke. I mean, yeah. you, you think that you're safe until you put your hand down and then you find ants crawling on your hand or you're walking down a trail to a swimming hole. Uh, you know, you've got your machete, you've got all your stuff that you think you need and you see the ground moving and you flash the ground and it's a tarantula or it's a scorpion. It, like it, it, the jungle mm -hmm. is a place where bad things live, like bad, bad. And it all comes out at night. All yeah, at night. And, yeah. and the jungle becomes alive at night. Like the sounds increase. Um, you know, normally in the Northern woods at night, you can hear things better. Well, in the jungle, it just gets louder and louder. You, I mean, sometimes you can't sleep because it just gets that loud. Mm. Um, and my dad, you know, he always would say like, whenever we were hiking, you know, as a little kid, I would say, you know, dad, what's the jungle like? And he'd point to the, to the woodline. He'd be like, well, it's basically like this, just, you know, a lot thicker and, and just different trees and whatnot. But, you know, there are so many, so many similarities. Um, 
So, I, I'm a little shocked that he remembers it. It was probably so impactful. Yeah. Like, I don't remember when I was six, right? But it was just pretty mm -hmm. humdrum, normal life. But it was probably such an impact on him that it just it stayed with him, right? Right. And just yeah. like with any family, like, families relive history. Like, I'm, I mean, I talk with my parents about family vacations we've gone on or, or things that have happened in our family. So they were able to relive it. And again, it happened on the family property. Yeah. And that's another, that's another key component. When they eventually left, they went back to their house. They found that their cars were destroyed. They found that the house was riddled with bullets. They, everything was destroyed. It was a war that he grew up in a war torn country. Yeah. And for people that aren't aware, the Philippines has been occupied time and time again, uh, occupied by the Spanish, occupied by the Portuguese, by the Japanese, by the Americans. But something that people are surprised about is that the Philippines has never been occupied forever. And, you know, I always joke in classes and I say, look, I'm going to show you the Filipino side. It's kind of sneaky because it's, it's in our culture to kind of have to get around the, the occupation, you know, to, to do things in a clandestine type of way. Um, I heard and, you talking about that when you were teaching yeah. hand to hand, you're like, this is Filipino techniques and they're sneaky techniques. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. and it's great because the students were like more, more. It's and, an underdog technique, oh, right? Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and I, I bring it up all the time, you know, and I don't want to go off on too many tangents because uh, I'm loaded on. That's what podcasts are for. Yeah, oh my God. Because yeah. I mean, you know how it is. Like you're a monster fan. I've been drinking coffee all day <laughs> with these guys and, you know, but. Uh, we're you both know. tired. It was a long oh, week yeah. for us. We put a lot of hours in. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you figure we probably did over. Let's see, a normal nine to five, but we didn't stop at five. No. So that was probably close to sixty or eighty hours of instruction in mm -hmm. five days. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. But yeah, the 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 <laughs> for the people that were there, you know, that at six thirty in the morning, you wanted more. You know, <laughs> we started off with Chad with with Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, and then the next day I started doing striking class. Today I did a little bit more of striking with some integrated, uh, you know, combatives and whatnot, and yeah. it was just it was amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, getting back to the story, my dad. He eventually, you know, was a was a young man growing up in the Philippines. Again, continuing war torn country, living in the jungle, catching fish, hunting. He eventually went to a, a military school over there, um, and eventually to medical school. Came to the United States, met my mother, had three kids. I'm the I'm the last of the three, uh, the youngest. And as a little kid, that's really what I wanted to hear. I didn't want to learn how to throw a football. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't want. Yeah, I didn't want to learn how to throw football. I didn't want to learn how to play baseball. Um, I had no interest in professional sports. I wanted to do what my dad did because mm -hmm. every every kid's dad is a hero in, in their own way. Um, so I wanted to to learn the survival skills. So my dad was like, "All right, fine." Next thing you know, um, I'm getting pellet guns, you know, without my mom knowing. It was always like the father mm -hmm. something like, "Don't tell mom," mm -hmm. and I'd shoot in the basement, and then you know we'd hear a you know. A, you know, banging on the wall and my dad would be like, put it away, put it away. And I'd hide it behind the studs in the wall. And, you know, so we had this, like this unwritten rule, like, okay, there are certain things we can do as a, as father or son, and certain things we can't do with, with mom. Um, was your, was your grandfather and then your father, what, would they consider themselves like a survival expert? Like your grandfather, was he a survival expert or did he just have to learn it while he was there? Like, like primitive medicine and all mm -hmm. that. Like, I, I, like back then people had more survival skills than they have today. Right. We've, we've become very, very laid back because we have so many modern conveniences, but would he have known all these techniques before he went in the jungle or he just learned it the hard way? Oh, hell no. Uh, in fact, my grandfather was working closely with the, with the Negritos. And for those of you that don't know, the Negritos are the, are the indigenous population in the Philippines. They're, they're, uh, very similar to the Aborigines in Australia. Um, they're, they're black men. They're, they're very, very tiny 
but they're Bushmen. And my grandfather was like a god to them because he was a shorter stature guy, just solid, solid individual who was looking out for them. And they all hated the the invading army. The Negritos were actually the ones that showed my my grandfather, hey, this is a plant. It's called Dita. And if you render it in a certain way, you can fill your 22 caliber hollow hol, uh, point bullets with this uh, concoction. And even if you were to shoot someone in the arm or the leg, the chances are the, the Dita poison would kill that person. So a lot mm. of these skills were, were learned through the indigenous population of the Philippines. And my dad almost died of whooping cough. Yeah. And if it wasn't for a local medicine and like plant knowledge, my dad would have died from whooping cough. When he was a little kid? When he was, when he was yeah. there in the, in the Philippines yeah. in the jungle living wow. in a cave. Wow. We, we had talked and I think it's super cool and it will absolutely happen. We had talked about uh, you going back like to the Philippines and retracing your, your like your your grandfather and your father's steps, man, uh, that would be a badass documentary. And, yeah. Uh, how, how long did it take uh, Mike Lover? Oh, uh, Mike to, was on it. Like, he, quick. He's like we're going, we're yeah, doing it. Yeah, yeah, that, <laughs> yeah. That's how he rolls, man. But it would be really cool. It'd be really, uh, you know, it'd be it'd be very uh, entertaining and educational. Absolutely. You know, yeah. So go go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. So. Uh, so basically, you know, as a little kid, I wanted to, to grow up learning survival skills. Uh, the funny thing is, you know, here at the Fieldcraft office, they've got copies of American Survival Guide magazine and whatnot. And I mean, I had a subscription to American Survival Guide when I was 13 years old. And when I was 13, to give everyone context, that's around the time of like Ruby Ridge and Waco. And like, it's a time when you said survival and people automatically thought that you were wearing a a tinfoil hat and people thought that you were this this crazy guy that was preparing for the end i mean through my life i lived through you know the y2k phenomenon and all sorts of other stuff and you know the it always interests me so little kid i read all sorts of books arthur roth you know he wrote trapped avalanche two for survival i was always interested in survival i was interested in what motivates and, and puts a kid on a trajectory like that and you're a school teacher right right do, do you see that in your kids like they they, they, they have influences in their life, be it parents or movies or whatever, and they go on that path, and that's that's how they find that what they're meant to do. Do you, do you find that with those kids? I, I, I completely believe in that. I think when someone follows a passion, they can achieve success because they're thinking about it, they're living it 24 hours a day. It's constantly in the back of their mind or in the forefront of their mind, and it's not like... Uh, something that they're only coming back to when they have to for, for work. So as a kid, I was like, I want to learn more. I want to learn more. I saw these magazines and I saw these people in these magazines that were writing these articles, laying out all their gear. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. And I remember, you know, not being able to take photos of stuff because I didn't have a camera, but I would lay out my gear the same way and kind of mimic it. Mm. And I never thought, you know, uh, let's see, 20 years after I first got American Survival Magazine, that I would be in the pages of American Survival Magazine laying out gear the same way. Mm. And if anyone's ever seen my articles, if you look at those photos and you look at the photos from like the 90s, there's no doubt you can say there, he's pretty much following what he did, what he saw when he was a kid, just the just the flavor, mm. right, of the photos and whatnot. Yeah. It's and, funny because we, we talked about that too with Mike, like having a, a Fieldcraft Magazine, but doing it in, in the in the kind of motif of the, like the 80s magazines with the same kind of ads and stuff like that. Yeah. Making it look real retro and I think it'd be awesome. Like yeah. one once a quarter or something and you know, we all write articles for it. That, that'd be really cool. Yeah, and I mean, let's let's face it. Every kid had some type of movie that they, they associated with. I mean, I know some people are Terminator fans. Some people like uh, Predator. Uh, some people like, uh, you know, Van Damme movies. Well, my movie when I was a little kid because of my dad, I mean, 
here's another thing. My dad was like, oh, let's watch First Blood together. So, yeah. so I, I'm watching Rambo, Rambo First Blood <laughs> Part Two, like R-rated movies with my yeah. dad. He's like, oh, this is a great action movie. Boys need to have action. Like, <laughs> you know, he, he always is like, you got to be tough with whatever you do. And and he never liked it if I was complaining or whining. And, and you know, I mean, he's obviously a caring father, but he's like, come on, toughen up, yeah. rub some dirt in it, that type of thing. So <laughs> so whenever someone says like, why are you so resilient? Why are you, you you're capable of doing this or that? And it's like, because I want to, you know, keep my dad proud. I want to uh, honor everything that he he taught me, and, and not whine and be a complainer. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. The uh, what's your favorite survival movie oh, of all time? Dear God, it's it's either a combination. Uh, it's got to be it's got to be First Blood. But a close runner-up is The Edge. That's what I was gonna say. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. a great movie. And people, it's not like huge, but I've I've seen that like. Uh, a couple of times, and I was like, "This is a good movie." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so what, let's talk about the Edge for a second. Uh, number one, El McPherson, got, <laughs> goddess. Uh, number number two, uh, Sir Anthony Hopkins. I mean, I just love his character. How smooth he is in that. Yeah. Like he he does get angry a couple times, and he's like, you know. I'm gonna kill the motherfucker, you know, yeah, and he's he's yeah. got that that great great delivery, um, and then you've got Alec Baldwin, and it's just fun to hate the Baldwins, um, <laughs> especially know. him. Yeah, so, but uh, you know, it's funny. I've got a couple buddies, you know, my buddy Lieutenant Mike. He has the edge on his phone, and we'll be out in the woods. We'll be doing like survival skills. He's mm-hmm. one of my my assistant instructors, and uh, every once in a while, he'll pull up a soundbite from the edge. Yeah, and it's what just, one man can do, another can do. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Line, yeah. Yeah, yeah, all my knowledge is theoretical, uh, <laughs> but yeah, that that. Movie movies way up there for survival um you know shoot to kill another 80s movie with tom berenger with in sydney portier like that movie was pretty cool because he's got a gerber bmf that he sticks in a snow cave and he hangs a candle lantern from it and it's it's so cheesy <laughs> but but it's just one of those movies that like it makes you want to go back to that time period when it was still cool to uh you know, have a cigar and have a, have a, you know, bud heavy and, you know, and, and wear jeans in the great outdoors. And yeah, like, yeah, I don't yeah. know, it was just, it was awesome. So, so you, uh, you, as you grew up, you yes. started teaching at the Wilderness Survival Center. Uh, right? Learning it's, Center. Yeah. Wilderness Learning, Learning Center. Center. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Tell us about that a little bit. Yeah. So, uh, you know, teaching has always been in my blood, I guess. Um, when I was younger, I was a, a lifeguard and swimming instructor, uh, you know, swimming and diving. Uh, and then after that, it was canoeing and kayaking. I was I did that at Mainstream Canoe, which, you know, it was like a class three, class four sections of the Farmington River. So I learned how to, how to take groups out, guiding, canoeing and kayaking. Eventually, over time, yeah, I started doing more with those canoeing and kayaking groups, like showing them some of the bushcraft stuff, the primitive skills stuff. Um, and they really took a liking to it. And I said, well, let me start formalizing my outdoor education started training with the main primitive skills school. I went to like their friction fire workshops and their uh, winter survival weekends, Jack Mountain Bushcraft with Tim Smith, you know, very knowledgeable guy, very, very skilled in bushcraft. And then in April of 2006, I'm down in uh, North Carolina, Marion, North Carolina, and I'm going to this product testing weekend. And it's basically where all these like guys from knife forums and blade forums get together at uh, Terrell Hoffman's property. It was called Practice What You Preach at the time. And it was kind of like a put up or shut up. You know, if you write about it online, like everyone can be a badass online. Well, here's where you get a chance to practice what you preach and show off what you can do. So, so I go down to this event. I'm sleeping in a in an imps shelter that was sold back in the day at Brigade Quartermasters. Remember, Remember that, that magazine? I yeah. do, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I, I slept I slept all weekend in an imps net. You know, I might have had a little too much moonshine one night in my younger years and uh at that event and I might have slept through essentially what was shy, just shy of a tornado. Um I woke up soaking wet in this net and I had like fishnet lines across mm-hmm. my face, but uh 
that was where I met Marty Simon. Uh, and Marty Simon has a, had a survival school. It was up on the US-Canada border uh, in Chattagay, New York. And I first met Marty and I, he and I talked a couple times on, 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 this is before the days of social media. He and I talked on like blade forums and I was like, man, this guy seems all right. I met him and it was like, I met a long lost relative. We, we hit it off right away. I saw his seminar and I remember at his first seminar that I sat in on, he showed like a German world war II booby trap. He's like, I don't even know why I'm showing you this, but it's mm. awesome. And I was like, this is the guy I want yeah. to learn more from him. He was a plant expert, a medicinal uh, and edible plant expert. So that was April of 2006. In August of 2006, I said, all right, if I'm going to finalize my or formalize my outdoor education, he has a week-long survival class. It was like 780 bucks at the time, uh, all meals included, you know, that type of thing. I'm like, I'm going to it. Drove up to, to Shattagate, New York, took the class, met his wife, uh, met all the other students. And next thing you know, I'm like, all right, when's his advanced class? So over the years, oh, oh, I'm sorry, what was yeah. his background? Like, what oh, did yeah, he yeah, learn yeah. it all? Uh, so Marty, Marty was a was a Boy Scout when he was younger, and then he eventually joined the Army. He was uh, EOD and in infantry in Vietnam. Um, when did he, he did he go into tunnels at all? Was oh, he, he, yeah, he was. He that's was a, what they do. Yeah, was he, he a big dude. He, he was yeah. he was about my size. Uh, you know, he was like yeah. six feet tall. Those, those I mean, tunnel, those guys that crawled into yeah, tunnels, man, that takes some cojones, yeah. man. He yeah. was he was a nighttime ambush specialist, and he told me when when I when he was alive, uh, he passed away this past uh, May. He said we did all this nighttime ambush stuff before the days of night vision. Like mm -hmm. they had starlight scopes back in the day, yeah. but those were reserved for the bases. And he said yeah. that they were mounted on like M1As. They were huge too. Yeah. They were like, like the size of the table, man. They were, they were like monster <laughs> things. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's funny because when he would teach, he would explain how he would use some of the, the tactics and the, the training that we covered even this week, like offset shooting. Yeah. He would explain how they would set off on a, on a bearing. They would then use a reverse azimuth that was... Uh, intentionally offset because they knew that the Viet Cong was going to follow their initial bearing out and they would just lay in ambush and wait for the Viet Cong and just and do their thing. Mm -hmm. um, so when Marty got out of, Viet out of Vietnam, he was a lifelong, uh, or I should say a career military guy doing 20 plus years in the military as a survival instructor. That was his MOS. And then in 1983 or 1984, he started the Wilderness Learning Center teaching down pilots uh, survival, like to commercial airline pilots, job corps kids and civilians. And you know, he did that up until the school closed in 2012. So he had two full careers as a survival instructor. Mm -hmm. And at the tail end of that, I was his, uh, I eventually became his lead survival instructor. Why, why um, did he close the school? He closed the school because he and his wife, they have 500 or they had 540 acres of land. They were really getting into homesteading. They were just, I mean, it he became closed, too much. It became yeah. too much. He was yeah. in his seventies. Yeah. I mean, but he, even at, in his seventies, he was challenging guys a quarter of his age to arm wrestling and he was crushing them. And, <laughs> was and it, did he enjoy teaching? Like is that it. was passion. Yeah. yeah. He, he enjoyed teaching. He enjoyed making people laugh. Um, you know, I think there's a certain amount of yeah. giving back. Right. I, I, I think I heard somebody else say it on a podcast. Mike did. He said, part of my therapy is to give back. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? I, and that was probably the same for him. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and Marty always said, like, if he wasn't making fun of you, he didn't like you. So he would always say to me that I had like a five head and, you know, <laughs> in, in front of students, he would say, I searched long and hard all over the world for the, the greatest survival instructors. And when I couldn't find one, I hired Kevin, you know, like, <laughs> like that type of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was pretty awesome. I mean, I, I had a chance between 06 and 07 to kind of go on multiple camping trips with him and his wife and all of our friends. He started paying attention to the stuff I was doing. And next thing you know, I go back there for a, another class and he's by the way, guys, that's Kevin. He's my instructor. And it was that that quick. I, I had a journeyman instructor status. And then eventually uh, I became uh, an instructor and eventually his lead instructor. So if Marty wasn't teaching, I would just be the set it and forget it instructor. Like, all right, Kev, go teach navigation. All right, Kev, go teach this. Um, the one thing he always retained and he loved it to the day he died was taking people on plant walks. Um, I had a chance to do that this past weekend with some of the guys mm -hmm. that are, are uh, basic, you know, the survival one day, one, yeah, one day thing. Yeah. And people were blown away because even though the desert's not a direct, you know, uh, match to the mm -hmm. ecosystem that we have in the Northeast, I still could find like great mullein. I could still find cattail and talk to talk about it at length. And people were like, oh my God, that's the most interesting in the world. And it, it really is interesting It is because there's so many plants and they're all different everywhere you go. I remember mm -hmm. when I went to Sears Gold, they did some and they had a deck of cards. Do you ever see those? Yeah, those with are by the, Linda Runyon. Yeah, with mm -hmm. the plants for, for that area. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we need to get some of them. The, uh, yeah, it, it's it's uh, it's super interesting, like especially medicinal plants and stuff like that. Because if there is like a huge disaster, natural or man-made, and you end up into what like there ain't gonna be no freaking ibuprofen and you know what I mean? you're gonna have to figure that shit out you know yeah and uh, it, it is a skill i i, I don't possess and i'd love to possess yeah. well you know i think i'll be i'll be hanging around a little bit more I think so, so i think Hope uh, so. yeah i yeah, think that'll, yeah. that'll eventually happen yeah yeah um yeah so so go ahead like the teaching at the, at the yeah room. so so i taught at the wilderness learning center um you know, at some point I said, all right, I'm- Were you still, were you a school teacher at this time? Well, I've been, I, I was a school teacher the yeah, whole time. So yeah. my summers were, you know, June, July, all the way through the end of August. It was a week on, a week off, sometimes two weeks on. I would travel six hours one way to get to the center, travel six hours on the way back. Um, and that was for a week straight. And like the only source of entertainment we really had way up there was, let's go to Walmart and just people watch in between classes. Mm -hmm. But um you know, it, that's pretty much how I lived my life for like five years. I mean, it, it definitely came at the expense of a couple, you know, like was relationships it, with girlfriends year, uh, and stuff yeah. like was that. Was it year yeah. round? Oh, it was a year yeah. round survival so a lot school. Of, a lot of winter stuff way yeah, up there. We, yeah, we did, we did a couple winter survival classes. They never really booked up um, because New York Canada border. I mean, I remember the last winter survival class we did in 2009 we had people out in the snow in 35 degree weather taking a snow bath because it was the first time it was above freezing and they were literally rubbing snow on their bodies and it felt warm because we were in sub sub zero uh or single digit temperatures for for a week straight who pays to do that <laughs> Pe people people pay for that if they really, really want to test themselves, like some people were interested in the in the great outdoors. Other people did it because they said, my friend said I would never do this. Yeah, um, other yeah. people did it because they wanted to have the skills that their kid didn't have and they ultimately wanted to be seen as Superman. And I'm a big believer that if I'm teaching a father and son, I want that father to learn the skill so he can be Superman for his son or, mm. or the mom to be Superman, Superwoman for the, the son or daughter or whoever. Um, I don't want to rob a parent of that awesome moment where the kid looks up and says, wow, my mom or dad mm -hmm. or my uncle or big brother, big sister, whoever can do anything, you know? Like, we, we talked about this today. Was it mostly like men 
and boys or like, uh, you know, half the population is women. And, and you know, we, we have a lot of women come to our training, but not enough, right? I, I, I think, you know, women have that mama bear protective thing, but I, I think too many women, not all obviously, but they, they rely on the, the man to do a lot of stuff, but the man's probably not going to be there, right? And, and military spouses are really good at it, right? They, they take care of the home, they do everything because they have to. Because the men are deployed a lot, you know. So I would love to. I don't know how to how to crack that code, but I'd love to see more females coming uh, and learning the skills that are out there, the, the survival, the shooting, the combative skills that that we have to teach them. You know, I, but I I just don't know how to crack that code. You know. Yeah, I, I think a lot of women are intimidated by the idea that okay, this seems like something that a lot of men are interested in. I mean, and there there's no doubt about it. There's definitely way more men that take these classes than women, but there are a lot of women. Like in this past week, we had three women yeah. on that class. And they all were were, they were very strong women. They were and they tough did great. women, they right? Crushed it, yeah, right. Yeah. And, uh, and, maybe, and they're maybe, hungry, yeah, yeah. And uh, maybe an all female class would be the way to go. But but um, yeah, they did great. They did better than most of the men, I would say. Um, yeah, it's some. I think I think one of the reasons why women are are intimidated by the classes because maybe they've had bad experiences where the instructors want to be that alpha, you yeah. know, and it's more about the instructor's ego saying, wow, I have women in my class. I'm going to be the toughest guy here. You know, like, like there's no posturing, like there was no, no. posturing this past weekend. No. We, we purposely put a female in charge oh, the first yeah. day to, to set that standard that, that, yeah, you know, and she did a great job. She crushed it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think women need to learn a lot of these skills because as you mentioned, you know, women are incredibly powerful. I mean, I don't think I could push out a baby. I don't think I could. Hell no. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. there are a lot of women out there that, that do incredible things. I think especially with the combatives, uh, my dad always said the gun was the great equalizer. The, the knife is a great equalizer. I'm Filipino. I mean, I can tell you, I'm deathly afraid of some Filipino women. You put any knife in their hands and mm -hmm. they're going to serve you up five different ways. Um, so, I mean, I think it's a, it's, it's something that's super empowering. It's not false empowerment though. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not putting up a stupid image on Instagram just because everyone else is doing it. This is like, okay, I did it once before I can recreate it in practice. Right. And now I can do it again when, you know, the shit hits the fan. Like that's, mm -hmm. that to me is true empowerment where there's a true, true, uh, level of honesty in your capability. Yeah, yeah, I, I love it, you know. Um, so uh, as you, did you write your book, your first book, when you were working at the wilderness? No, no, no. no. Oh, so way ahead, huh? No, no, I, I, wrote my, I wrote my book two, three years ago. So 2017, mm -hmm. I started writing it, I believe. No, 2018, I started writing it. What prompted you to write it? Did somebody approach oh, you? Yeah. Or? Um, well, I, I was already writing magazine articles. I started writing magazine articles in like 2007, 2008. I got back into magazine writing articles, um, you know, very, very heavily in 2013 following a breakup. Um, and I just was like, get my mind off of it. And I started writing like crazy. And I was pumping out like 25, 30 magazine articles a year, which talk to anyone that writes, you know, freelance for magazines. And they'll tell you like, that's a pretty feverish pace. Like yeah. I was immersed in writing, which gave me a lot of contacts with companies and, you know, gave me access to, to some awesome training and cool stuff. But um, in 2012, uh, another mentor, uh, Pamana Tuhan, Chris Sayak, Filipino martial arts founder, I'm sitting in his kitchen in Florida. And he says to me, he says, Kev, when's your book coming out? And I looked at him and I said, my book? He goes, yeah, you're ready. And at, so I, somebody said that to me today, believe it or not. To write your book? Yeah, when you write your book, oh I'm gosh. like, I'm not writing a book. Oh, that's, yeah. I'm telling you, you should. I mean, I, I've been hanging out with you for, I don't know, like 
10 days, 12 days. And, <laughs> and some of the stories I would, I would pay triple the asking <laughs> price to have that written down. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if the world is ready for I that know, book. Yeah. Um, and I wonder if they ever made a movie of your life, who the hell would play you? Because so I was, I was in a book that this guy wrote and he sent me a copy of it. And he said, I couldn't write a book without including you. But the author, the author wouldn't let me speak your mind. He said, <laughs> "Yeah." And, and for those of you that don't know, uh, you guys have to be present when Kevin Owens is telling a story because he get, he gets he gets all of us going right. Yeah. We're listening to it, and then he's laughing at his own story, which makes us laugh even harder. And at some point, it's kind of like like a you know we're here in Arizona, wildfire country. It's like a wildfire; like you can't stop the story from going. And yeah, and oh we, my god, it's it's incredible. Yeah, the Irish are born storytellers, man. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, the, the book was like 2018. It came out in 2019. Uh, Mike Glover, he read it. And then that's when he, he, you know, had me on the podcast initially yeah, yeah. and we, we talked about it. And then after the podcast, we talked for like an hour mm -hmm. and, you know, I started following his stuff and I mean, I was blown away by the, the depth of the company and all the things that he had at hand in and like he was doing. And I was like, wow, this is really great. And everyone started saying, oh, you should connect up with those field craft guys, connect up with the field craft guys. And well, here I am today. You yep. know, I just finished up teaching the first class or first yeah. course with you guys. Yeah, so. I was stoked that you were able to come out. Like, it just lined up with timing wise. It really did. And uh, thank you, COVID. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was funny that you were here for a shooting class and, right. and, and you hung out, you know? Um, all right, enough of the context. Let's, yeah. let's talk about this week. Oh, my God. Where, where do we begin? So, <laughs> I don't know. How much should we give away? Because we can change it. Oh, so, okay. So for anyone listening, let's just put it this way. If you're trying to game mm -hmm. your part, future participation in this bug out yeah. class, realize that you are going to fail yeah. miserably. You're dealing with people who have done this a little, a couple of times. Holy crap. Yeah. We, we shot from the hip multiple times. We were like, how about this? Yeah. And then next thing you know, within five hours, we had a plan to implement Corn it. Yeah. And we threw it at them. And, yeah. and yeah. by them, I'm talking about the students and... And they were like, really, you guys are doing that to us? Oh my God. And, but they, it, there was always training. It yeah. was never to be like, okay, this is, this is yeah. a punishment. No. There was always there training value. There has to value. be a training goal. There has right. to be a point to everything. Like we, 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 like without getting too militaristic or anything like that, but if you're bugging out from your home, your castle, your fortification, things are bad. Resources are low and there's bad actors out there. And in this scenario, there was like a, a militia group that were like violent and then there was the federal police and all these other characters that we built the story on. And uh, when we issued like airsoft guns, right? Because airsoft guns are... They're low liability. It's not. It's not Sims where you're breaking the skin. It, it just it, it recalls like a pistol or a, or a rifle, and it, it gets the point across. And 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 people when they're holding a gun, it it, it kind of tunes them in a little better. And we talked heavily about rules of engagement because I've dealt with this my whole life. And and when do you pull the trigger? When do you pull the trigger? When do you pull the trigger? And we talked about scenarios, you know. And and we kept it in the context of the this scenario, right? And, and it wouldn't be the rules of engagement that you would do in your daily life. But if you're in a bad area and a terrorist or, or, or some bad actors pull you over, what are you going to do? So I'm going to tell this part. I don't care, right? Because it, it's super cool, right? So we, we war game the shit out of it, right? And then when we bugged them out at one point, we put them in vehicles four at a time. And we drove them and, and our instructors were driving. And uh, our instructors were carrying sim, uh, BB uh, airsoft pistols as well. And the reason was that if, if the scenario got too far and too down the line and it was no, and there was no teaching point, then they would end it, right? So as they were driving up in the back roads of, of, of Prescott National Forest, Gary was there with his AK-47 slung and, and he pulled them over and it was dark. 
and he was nice initially and he was hey you know i'm with i'm with the plg the people's liberation group and uh, we own this territory and um, we require a toll and, and some of the students did a great job they started bartering oh we have cigarettes and we have this and that and and the the, the guidance that I, that I gave gary um was be nice at the start and then just ramp it up and ramp it up and ramp it up until the point you know, we were trying to discover where's that line where people just pull a gun and shoot, right? So <laughs> as we ramped it up and ramped it up and ramped, like George did a great job as Gary. He was like, um, okay, uh, well, you know, we have cigarettes and I don't want your cigarettes. I, I want your weapons and I want your ammo, right? Which are life-saving tools in this scenario, right? And they're like, oh my God, what do we do? What do we do? And then he was like, get out of the truck. And he got everybody out of the truck. And as they're probably processing, okay, I'm just going to shoot this guy. I was up in the wood line with night vision goggles and a laser pointer. And I put a, I put a red dot on people's chest. And Gary was like, George was like, I got a sniper up in the woods. Go ahead and make a move and he'll kill you all, you know? So it completely changed the dynamic of this guy has Overwatch. And I can shoot him easily, but he's going to die because that red dot is on his, his or her chest, right? So it completely changed the dynamic. And then he was like, okay, get all your rucksacks out. Put them in my truck. I'm taking them. And then he was like, okay, I'm taking your truck. Okay, I'm taking your women, you know? And we kept pushing it and pushing it until they had to make that decision to, to, to escalate, right? Which was a huge learning point. And, and uh, they really, I think they really gained a lot from that scenario. But that was only one of a bunch of things we did. Yeah, and I don't, yeah. don't want to go into detail of, of everything that happened yeah. in my vehicle, but let's just put it this way. There were multiple times where I'm like, oh my God, it's going to happen. It's yeah. going to happen. They're going to, yeah. it's going to shoot the guy in the face. And yeah. like, obviously we didn't want Gary getting shot in the face. We told the students yeah. like center mass only, <laughs> but it was, but it was awesome because I'm like, oh my God, it's going to happen. Like this, one of the students had like a real nice bag in front of him. And I'm like, oh my God, he's concealing the gun. He's going to do a slow draw. And then another student at one time, I'm like, oh, he's, he's bringing him around the car so the other one can, can ambush him. And then when that wasn't happening, at one point I'm on my hands and knees, right? I'm actually on my knees. I got my hands on my head and I'm, I'm whispering to the, the student next to me. I'm like, go big, go big. <laughs> and Gary's like, you shut up, yeah, shut up. But and that the, student left his gun in the car yeah, when he got oh, out. And we're like, no. <laughs> so, so then it, it keeps going and I'm like, yeah, oh my God. Yeah. So I look at the other student and I'm like, I'm like, shoot up, shoot up. And I'm, I'm mouthing it. Nothing is happening. And I was like, okay. Uh, and we had to keep the students going because it's getting dark and we don't want to, we don't want to be doing this all night. We had to get them, get them in the woods. So uh, at one point, Gary's like, all right, driver, go back to the vehicle, get me your keys. And you know, I, I grab the keys out and he's like, all right. And I, I hand them to him. I drop them at his feet. He's like, all right, you got anything else in there? And I, and I go back to the, the car and you know, we, as instructors, we were told like, okay, if it's taken along, we gotta, we have to kill yeah, Gary. Yeah. So, you know, when he, when he turns around, I got the, I'm like basically shielding the gun from his sight. I turn around, I, I pop him a few times from retention. And, yeah. and then next, you know, I'm like, grab his legs, drag him into the woods. And for those of you that don't know, George yeah. Bell's a big dude. He's 240 like, pounds. Yeah. Right? yeah. So, so I've got like, a, like I, I've got like a 15 year old kid in my group. I've got, you know, uh, you know, a, a woman who's athletic, but you know, still not 240 pounds. Mm -hmm. And you know, everyone's running around trying to grab their bags. And at one point, one of the students grabs Gary's like real AK. And I'm like, no, 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 it's out of commission. It doesn't work anymore. It's jammed. And I threw it back in Gary's truck. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was it was just awesome to see then what do we do like do we get back in the car and this is something that uh, I told a few of the people on the on the class and a few of the people that were in the car definitely saw it. I know Austin saw it so as I'm driving down to meet Gary right before yeah. all this happens 
I'm thinking of like the saddest things in my life and I work up tears in my mm-hmm. eyes. Mm-hmm. Austin is trying to take pictures of my tears in my eyes and I'm looking at the students with welled up eyes and a couple of times they started panicking. They're like, holy crap, yeah. is this real? Yeah. Like, why is he crying? I'm hyperventilating. At one point, the, the student next to me is like, do you mind if I drive? Like, do you want me to drive? <laughs> and I'm like, I think I'm okay. I think I'm okay. You know, and, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm not like this the entire week. And I just mm. start panicking. And mm. next thing you know, Gary pulls us over and I've got my hands immediately up on the, on the, the roof mm. of the car. Did you say, because we'd rehearsed you saying, uh, hey, everybody be cool. We can, oh, get out, yeah. we, can, we can barter our way out of this. You know, because we didn't want them initiating right off the bat without thinking through the scenario. Right. And, and we had rehearsed that. Uh, we told them this in the air. If they jumped the gun and just shot him right off the bat and it was unrealistic, then we were going to make them carry them up into the woods and, yeah. and, and hide the body. You know, that would have been a nightmare. Yeah. But they, they played into the scenario perfectly where they were like, oh, shit. And I remember uh, one of the females saying, when the laser pointer hit the chest of one of the guys, it completely changed the scenario. So it, it all seems easy and you think you carry a gun every day and you think you know when to draw and pull the trigger, but it's actually a very difficult decision and, and, and it, it's not straightforward like that. And, and police officers make that decision every day. Yeah, God bless them. A lot. Yeah, it's so, so, yeah. What, what's um, interesting, I thought, was, you know, for the first time, for many of them, they started thinking about second, third, fourth, fifth order of effects. Yes, yeah. Right? Yeah. It's like everyone wants to be the cool guy and say, oh, I killed, a, I killed you know, the bad guy yeah. and I saved the day, you know, just like my heroes that I watched, whatever. But if you are carrying a pistol, if you own firearms and you're really considering about using them for self-defense to protect your family, your loved ones, you have to think like, okay, what now? Yeah. And then what now after that? What then? And then just, and really run it out. Like, so we said, all right, you kill Gary, you have to hide the body. Yeah. And then guess what? If you kill him, you know, quickly, then maybe when you're driving and you're continuing down that road, now you've got the entire, you know, the resistance, PLG. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, PLG, yeah, yeah. Uh, the fake army that we created. Now you have all of them chasing mm-hmm. after you when you could have probably bartered your way out. You yeah. know, like, and so we, we talked about it in mission planning. We talked about, well, if you kill him, or if you tie him up or, or, or roll him up or whatever, maybe they send one or two after you. If you kill him, maybe they send 50. You know, right. maybe you make the, the situation way worse. But at a certain point, you brought it up in the AAR, it, it, it just becomes unacceptable that he's taking everything. And when, when I heard him from the woods say, now I'm taking the women, I was like, oh, oh it's yeah. on now, right? Yeah. So um, we, we, we had rehearsed that like and, and kind of war game that oh, we're going to do this and this and this and then we're going to ramp it up but it was very interesting to see it and i, I watched it develop three times and i can't wait to see the video we took yeah. you know it's oh that's right i forgot yeah. that, that there's a video of it there i mean yeah. what's really cool about that whole scenario is that you can take something that's that's fictitious like that and you can apply it to real life like mm-hmm. Will people always be a, a missionary working in, you know, the the foreign land that we we created? Probably not. But there may be a bug out scenario. Could be because of a wildfire. Could be because of civil unrest or whatever. But the beauty of it is that they now have that rep that they've had a chance to not just participate in, but then analyze afterwards with the with the watchful of eye of people who have been overseas, right? Like Kevin and and, and Austin and, and these guys, right? Uh, and then someone who has spent a lot of time in the woods and, and just the thing that blew me away was how much gear they carry. Yeah, that's a the common woods. theme. I've run this course twice and every time they're like, I carried way too much. Guys, I think you get used to the creature comforts, right? And you have three of everything or, or and, and you're like, I didn't need that. Especially yeah. in Arizona in the winter, maybe, or in the summer, maybe I didn't need a tent. <laughs> you know, I didn't even need a sleeping bag, honestly. Yeah. Like... Uh, you could sit against a tree and sleep. There, there were a few people 
I mean, we're, let's put, face it, you're in a sandy condition uh, where the ground is soft. You don't need the most luxurious sleeping pad. You just need something with a slight amount of insulation. And quite honestly, when I was out there, I slept on top of a poncho liner and just that little bit of uh, loft from inside of the poncho liner, the insulation, that was enough to keep me warm off the ground. But it was interesting because, I mean, you know, Kevin you know, Owens over here, he went in with like a day pack and I went in with like a little fanny pack and, and I'm looking at these students' bags in it and they're huge. They're like 3,500, you know, cubic inch capacity, 4,000. They've got everything, you know, attached to the outside. And, and I'm like, okay, they're going to lose that. It's going to be a freaking yard sale. Yeah. And sure enough, you see them like readjusting things on their pack. After, and after uh, the third contact that we did with the vehicles, I came down from the woods because I thought the students had already went into the woods. And one of the students was running around. I was like, what are you looking for? And he's like, a whole section of my backpack ripped off. <laughs> and I was like, you got to go, man. Yeah. And I don't know if we ever found that piece. I, I told George, hey, when we leave, white light this area and see if you can find his kit. But it's a great shakeout, right? It's a and great shakeout. Super important to do that, right? Like everyone thinks their gear is, is, you know, fine and dandy in theory, but unless you truly test it, I mean, we talked about it before we went out there. We said, Hey, is all your gear waterproofed? And they're like, Oh crap. And yeah. then the next, you know, they were going into getting, yeah. uh, you know, Ziploc bags. And, and we, we talked about this too. Like if you pack in a nice air conditioned building and you stuff and you, you, you fill every mm -hmm. inch of that rucksack because you can, we grow, it's like a turtle, right? Or turtle, whatever. they grow into their shell, right? So you fill that thing every square inch Try repacking that in the dark and the pouring rain in a hurry. You're never getting all that stuff back in as neatly and tidily as that. You'll end up losing all kinds of stuff. So tons of lessons learned. Oh, another great lesson was uh, the white light discipline. Oh, I mean, yeah. we were... I mean, we were hounds. If we saw a white light, it was yeah. like, turn off that light. Yeah, I, I can't turn that tactical thing off. And I, I was know. like, hey, leader, come here. And the leadership thing we need to talk about. So I was like, check it out. If I hear one more person talking with this big, loud voice, because you're being pursued... And I heard, see one more white light. We're going to walk a couple of clicks and then we'll bed down. And then if we see it again, we're just going to keep moving all night. And then you get the leader mad at all the people. And then the people mad at the leader and that, that group dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, there was that. And then people were having a hard time finding equipment in the dark. And there was one student, I, I was sitting right next to him and I was telling him about something in my kit. Like, I think I had to hand him something. And I'm like, oh yeah, over here I have all my fire starting stuff. It was in my canteen satchel that I always carry. Uh, and he's like, how do you know that kit inside and out? I'm like, cause it's consistency. I never put something back in a different pocket. I can tell you that side has the fire starter. It has a spoon for when I'm you know, eating out of the canteen kit. It has this side over here has a bug net for if I'm sleeping in did, nasty did conditions. Did somebody teach you that stuff or did you just learn through making mistakes? That, that was Marty. That was uh, my late mentor from the Wilderness he Learning Center. He probably learned through making mistakes in Vietnam. In, in maybe, Vietnam, you know? he carried a cross draw revolver. Yeah. And he said he never, ever changed up. If he carried at the cross draw, he wasn't carrying in a shoulder holster the yeah. next day. If he carried in that cross draw, he wasn't going to appendix or, or three o'clock or four. And he said it was because under stress, when you start going back to what you've done for so many times, you're not going to do something new. You're going to go back to where, yeah. where it was. And that was something that he hammered home with me for so many years. So even to this day, Swiss Army knife front right pocket, lighter mm. front left pocket, flashlight I, I, left, I, I thought, left pocket. Yeah. Um, you know, everybody's always asking me what the difference in the Irish Army, and and, and I think, um, and people would be probably mad at me, but in, the, in in special operations in the Irish Army, we spent so much time in the field, in the mountains, and, and patrolling and all that, they hammered home, like, uh, your equipment on your, and I, I did this with my team, but it was never taught to me in special forces, right, but in America, um, like, we carried our kit, right, and 
you had enough kit on your body that you could drop your rock and you could live for days if you needed in to. Your, so, in your smock, right? Yeah, like, in, in a smock or on a vest, right? So I had my my whatever rifle or sniper or whatever. I had all my mags. I had my survival kit. I had my radio. I had uh, my pistol. I had some chow. I had my water, um, my GPS, my map, my compass, right? It was all on me at all times. Nobody ever really hammered at home in the American Army. Um, and then... Uh, you know, secondary equipment in my ruck. So at any time, it's like we would go to the field on a training exercise and we'd pull up and we knew we were out there for a week or whatever. And they'd be like, I remember this happening like twice at least. They'd be like, put your ruck back in the truck. And then they'd make us live off our kit mm -hmm. for a week, you know? So we kind of were, were mentally prepared for that. And then I, I try, sometimes I'm too tactical in these courses. So I said it today, like last time I, I pulled myself out of it the second day. So Austin and uh, Daryl, the guy we had helping last time, they could go kind of a little less tactical and, you know, more, more teaching uh, format in the woods. We did it this time too. I pulled myself out and the next day you kind of went admin and taught a lot of knots and, and survival stuff, you know, but it's been drilled into me. So when you get like, these things hammered into you when you're young, you just can't let go of them, right? So when I was over there, we never took a kid off. Like our vest with all our stuff, that never came off. It wasn't like you climbed in, you slept with it. You never took your boots off, right? You slept in your kit. Your weapon went in the sleeping bag with you, so you're not mm -hmm. scrambling, trying to grab it at nighttime. I never put anything on the ground. I never do because I know you'll put it on the ground, you'll turn around to do something else and you won't be able to find it and you can't put a white light on, you know? So all these things were really, really hammered home when I was young and, and they've, they've stood with me for, for a very, very long time. It, it's kind of weird. Yeah, we told a couple of the students, we said, if you leave anything behind, when you turn around, we're going to take it. <laughs> and and we, it got to the point where, where students were walking around the entire course with their packs. Um, I think something that we can talk about about and it's hilarious because it's where we took our group photo yeah the, the, oh, bell. the bell yeah yeah oh yeah. it got to the point where they're like the camp that we did this in or the location where we did this in it, it was open in some ways to other populations that were non non-participant players yeah, we, we, we rolled it into the scenario yeah, yeah so so a little kid you know one of the scenarios was we had a bell and it was going to signal the bug out and i mean it it gave a lot of the students anxiety yeah, because it's kind of yeah. like that fire drill. They'll like kept looking at it and weigh it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and at one point this, this family shows up at this camp for whatever reason. And there's all these little kids and they see this long pull string on the end of a bell. So what's that little kid going to do? He pulls it. And we're like, no, 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 no. The kid's not signaling. But like, like the students were legitimately, legitimately, you know, ready to, to run and they didn't know when it was coming. We never gave out the schedule. We no. deliberately kept mm -hmm. it vague. I got, we got a lot of emails yeah. in, the, in the weeks leading up to this asking for more information. I was like, nope, you get this. And there's value added to not having the schedule. And we, we talked about it in the AAR. I said, was it value added or was it, I mean, they were like, no, it was perfect. Even though they, they, they kept asking for more information, it played into the scenario and it really did. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you, because you're not going to know day right. to day what's going to happen. It would take away so much from the, 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 the course. And then like, even something like that were with like the concept of not knowing today, like when we were doing the combatives, we were doing uh, like a basic hooba drill from JKD. And I, I brought it up again, just to reinforce that concept. Like you guys are all training with your training partners that you you came with you're most familiar with. And I said, switch. And then yeah. 
they're like, wait, I got to work with someone else. I'm like, yeah, you got to switch again. And I kept switching them. And then I brought up the idea. I was like, listen, you're not going to have the chance to dictate who your opponent is that wants to hurt you. You need to get used to other people's energy, how big they are, how small they are. Like you need to, to read them because you're not going to go up against your opponent that you're going to know. You're not going to dictate the conditions. So it was like, no matter what, we had certain core principles that we threw at the students throughout the week in this bug out class that hopefully they could see overarch as concepts into other aspects of their life. And I, and I really think they they got that. I mean, it's a good sign when you take a class uh, and or you teach a class and afterwards students are like, hey, can we have a photo? Like, mm-hmm. like they want to remember you, yeah. you know, like yeah. that's that to me is a or maybe they want to, you know, draw devil horns on you and stuff like that. But, but I mean, that was, Austin, that was the experience this past week. That, that I really, uh, what really, uh, I really love when I said, Hey, how many of you feel confident in navigating with a map and compass now? And I think they all put it yes. up the hand, which is huge because a map and compass is, it's not an easy task. There's a lot to it. And we've gotten so comfortable with our GPSs that uh, we didn't use GPSs at all here. We, we map and compass navigation, and you did a lot of classes on online nav. Like we worked like nine or ten o'clock every night because we had so much to teach, and we, we barely scratched the surface. Let's be honest; yeah. that, that course could be a month. Yeah, um, and that's something that the students said. They and we noticed that as instructors, it was like nine forty, right? Nine forty. Yeah. It was, and as as an instructor, you notice the, 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 the screen, energy the, in the class. The screensaver starts coming oh, on. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Any questions, guys? And it's just you know, yeah, you yeah. know, mumbles and and, mm-hmm. and that's about it. Uh, but when you were like, "Hey, who wants to do combatives at six thirty? Everybody wanted oh, to do it. Yeah. Like they're like, "Oh, we do combatives tomorrow." Yeah. So that that there was a few things. I, I mean, I had a schedule laid out, but there was a few things we improvised, and combatives is one. Because you have your background, and Chad right. has his background, which is extensive, and that fed into it. And then um, there was a few other things without giving a lot of things away. We we uh, we did improvise, but they, they worked out really well. I don't know what I would change for the next one. Um, I, I would tweak some stuff and, and throw some more curveballs, but uh, I, I I think we're, we're, we're you're always going to develop and and and. and improve the POI, right? You're yeah. always going to, to add to it, but uh, it, it's it's pretty good POI. I mean, if I, if I could change anything for the next time around, I would definitely provide the students with certain gear that maybe looks like they got it quickly from like a, like a, uh, like a hardware store. Um, so I would show the students like how to make like a, a backpack out of a, out of a poncho or a backpack mm-hmm. out of a tarp and say, all right, you're going to wear this because let's face it. They were missionary workers and a lot of them were carrying backpacks that were like four or $500 backpacks yeah, and yeah. like all high end gear, which nothing wrong if you can afford it. And if it's in, if that's what you feel comfortable with, rock it all day. Mm-hmm. But, uh, it was, it would be interesting if we were to say, all right, you're doing this. And by the way, you're in a third world country and your stuff got stolen. And mm-hmm. now you've got to work with what you have. Here's how you do more with less, Ooh, which, is like like my, which is I like my, which is like my, my, yeah. my wilderness we, we, philosophy. We have a, we have the, the local market oh, yeah. that sells like a certain amount of kit, like crappy kit, but yep. you got to make it work. I like that. Yeah. And, and like the food that they, they have to eat. Like at one point, one of the students broke out, like, uh, it was like, uh, prepackaged salmon. And I mean, something about like, we, we mentioned camouflage and all the different S's and whatnot. And if you forget that scent is part of camouflage, mm-hmm. like I could smell that from like 70, 70, 80, you know, feet away. And, and I mean, it was so strong in the air and when there's no wind, it just, it just lingers there. Yeah, so yeah, uh, it would be funny if we gave them certain food and we said, oh, by the way, you have this as your options and just yeah. see how they, how they did. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Cause, um, I remember working, and I, I've 
talked about this somewhere before. I remember working with the Indige in, in Afghanistan, right? And we're up in the mountains of Afghanistan with our, you know, Gore-Tex boots and, and hundreds of dollar uniforms and Gore-Tex jackets and all this stuff. And they're up there with um, flip-flops and a cigarette and, you know, uh, like a man dress. And they're hauling ass and, and they carry meat. A lot of them carry like meat and they just cook it in the, in the, in the field, right? They don't have all these high-speed rations. Um, but, but yeah, it, it, they're, they're fitness cause they grew up there. Yeah. It's, you know, local diet. You're not going to be able to, to order out your favorite food. You're going to have to eat what's available. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, if you've never had goat and, and you try goat for the first time, you're like, oh my God, it tastes like I'm, I'm eating grass or, you know, it's got a very, you know, earthy flavor to it. And Americans, we, we have the ability, like we're fantastic. Like we have so many great food, food places. Um, but you're not going to have that option everywhere you go mm -hmm. and you just have to blend in. Yeah. So one of the things you brought to the table when, when everybody got there, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll organize everybody and put them in their rooms. And you were like, let them do it themselves. Yeah. Let, let's see that <laughs> leadership dynamic and that, that human interaction. And I was like, Ooh, I like that, man. And that was a very common theme. So we, we, we had two separate groups of seven, I think, and one leader overall, and then one leader per group. And I, I assigned the, I think I assigned them each day, the leadership roles. And uh, that was actually pretty interesting to watch. Right. Right. I mean, uh, to to explain a little bit about the camp the accommodations without giving too much away there were multiple rooms with multiple beds any like there are certain rooms like where you could probably have an entire like half of the team live in one accommodation right but they they were able to spread out um and there's one bed in particular where like oh my god i wonder who's going to choose that it's kind of mm -hmm. like do you sit at the head of the table you go into a boardroom, do you just sit at the biggest chair or do you say, all right, let's see who's going to sit in that chair. And, and that became part of the group dynamics. And I think that's super important when it, when we're talking about survival or, or living off the land or whatever, because if you don't have order, if you don't have a leader, who's going to set in place like certain rules and contingencies and, and, and operating procedures, like you're going to have chaos. Mm -hmm. And, and it was very interesting. I still have the video. I haven't uploaded it. I'm going to load it up to Dropbox and share it off with the, the students. But I recorded what it was like when that bell did go off and when they realized, wow, we have to get out of here because a little bit of stress, I mean, has the ability to destroy plans if that it's not rehearsed. Yeah. Um, and, and we, we watched really good leadership. We saw some people grow as leaders. Um, but overall, I think they, they saw the importance of having that structure and it wasn't just a, a free for all. Yeah. And generally if, if, the leader is failing, somebody will step up and take charge, even if they're not. And people will follow them because they want to live, right? And they're like, oh, that person seems to know what they're doing. I'm going to follow him, right? And a few times we had to be like, step down, not your job. I want you to take a back seat. I want this person to develop as a leader. And then like putting pressure on people. You, you can, the military does this really well. You can't, you know, you can't simulate the real thing exactly, right? But you can put pressure on people certain ways. And one of the ways was, was like bugging them out and making them run initially and get out of that thing. And you're never going to buy in that this is real. But if you buy into the scenario a little bit, you can almost fool yourself that it's real and, and you just get so much more out of it. Yeah, something that the, the these listeners, you guys that are listening right now can definitely take away from the lessons of the, the students this past week, right? To keep us relevant and explain like, this is what really does happen. Um, I want to know if the listeners right now, you probably have a canteen in your bug out kit or you have a bladder in your bug out kit, but is there water in there? Mm -hmm. Because there were students that 
said, oh, I had a, a bladder, but I didn't fill it up. I had a canteen. I didn't fill it up. Well, why not? You knew you had a week to prepare. And I bet there are people right now that are saying, well, I, I don't carry water because it tastes bad. Well, any water is better than no water, yeah. you know? And yeah. when we bug the people out, there are certain items that were left behind. Like, oh, I brought this food. Well, it requires water. It requires cooking. The scent is going to be in the air. Or you could bring dried food, which is just ready to go, calorie dense. And, and there's no need for a fire source, you know? Like, yeah. So there are so the many. There were people that bugged out with no with no yeah. they knew it was coming they know. didn't know when and you're in but, the desert but yeah and you're in the desert <laughs> super <laughs> important right in the summer in arizona yep. you need High water. Desert. yeah yeah um yeah super super what do you think of the group dynamic for leadership like what did you notice each day as leaders um as we developed and give guidance like i remember the first day i was like the leader eats last to ensure all their people get food. It's a very normal thing in the army, right? They do it like from right. the very first. So um, I was like, yep, yeah, the leader eats last. And then they kept doing that all week. And uh, obviously they were a little shocked when I said that initially. But what, what did you notice in, in, in people in leadership roles, good and bad? So some of the, some of the leaders were like natural leaders. And I mean, there's all different types of leaders, right? There are leaders out there that lead through, through intimidation, Right, yeah. you can look in the world and find leaders who are are definitely using the threat of violence to lead. In this case, if anyone was violent with anyone else, I think the instructor cadre was willing to you know <laughs> yeah. to take care of that. Um, but there are also leaders that are highly charismatic. There are leaders that use bribery to get people to join their side. Yeah, um, you know there are leaders who uh, don't know how to ask questions correctly, right? Or they don't know how to uh, I'm sorry make statements correctly, uh, or or ask. Uh, assistance. Hey, would you be able to help me with this? It's like, hey, help me with this, you know, or yeah. I need you. Uh, some leaders in this past week were quick to delegate, right? You go do this, you go do that, assign everyone a task. So there's no one standing around with their hands in their pockets. Mm -hmm. um, some of the leaders did that, which was fantastic because everyone had a task, everyone had a purpose, everyone felt worth as opposed to saying, well, it's just the same three people over and over and over. Some of the leaders were like, look, you do this, you do that, you do that. And all the tasks had equal amounts of suck, right? Like, like, hey, you've got to do this. You've got to do that. And mm. there was no favoritism. I mean, it was on the fly. And everyone uh, had, a, had an equal part in the success of the group. And when we issued a couple of the challenges, there were a couple times certain groups pulled ahead because there was no bickering. It was like, look, that's the leader. We know it could change at any moment. We're just going to listen to the leader. And they, they threw themselves in the scenario as opposed to doing the things that they did back in the real world, so to speak, you know, outside of the simulation. Um, and those are the ones that had the greatest success. Yeah, we also saw the opposite, right? Where Correct. you get these people who don't know how to talk to people. Correct. Because when you're a leader, there's different ways to motivate people. You know, I, I think the Army definition is like providing purpose, motivation, and direction. That's awesome. To accomplish a goal, right? right. So um, if I'm, and, and I spent my whole life in the army, right? And I was a young NCO. I screamed and shouted at people all the time. But as you get older, you understand that that people respond better. Like there's times for that, but people people respond better when you're, you're you you motivate them and you give them the why, right? You say, "Hey, we really need to do this, and here's why," right? And you get the people who don't understand that, and then they 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 
kind of kind of go the wrong way about it and it has the opposite effect people just switch off and go oh yeah he's a dick yeah. i'm not fucking helping him right and uh we we did see a little bit of that go on and um but I, I i think leadership is super important in that scenario you have 15 people who got thrown together they don't nobody knows anybody else and as you develop that they should be thinking well well i'm going to support him because i'm the lead. i could be the leader tomorrow right but it, it, it was a strange dynamic, and um, I, I, most people did really, really well yeah. with that piece. What was interesting was there were some people who initially we thought, wow, they're really, really guarded. They're, they're sitting aside from themselves. They're not talking. Mm -hmm. So what do we do? You're the leader tomorrow. Yeah, uh, yeah and, that was the first day. Yeah, yeah and yeah. then by the, by the end of the week, that person becomes super, super outgoing, yeah, and yeah. you really see them step up, and you find out that that person you know, maybe was, was, was weighing like, okay, who's this person? Who's that person? Like maybe they were the different type of leader who's going to step back before mm -hmm. they take action and they make calculated, you know, uh, you know, judgment calls. But, yeah. uh, yeah, that was, that was hilarious to see certain people being like, oh, I didn't know I was going to be the leader. Well, guess what you are. You yeah. know, I, I think I talked to you about that when I ran that leadership school and our junior NCOs, like, like a year in the army, some of them. And, you know, we do peers every week, every week. And then on Saturday, I, I'd be like, hey, I want you to tell me who the top three and the bottom three are. And usually the bottom three, because they didn't know each other, especially the first week, they'd be like, this guy's super quiet. Like, he doesn't talk to anybody. He's an introvert. And I'd take them into my office and I'd say, hey, check it out. I would rather have a quiet guy who was professional than a loudmouth asshole who never shuts the fuck up. However, mm -hmm. you're in a job where you kind of sort of be, you know, you got to be outgoing, you got to be able to relate to people and work with Indage and all that. So I want you to try to come out of your shell a little bit next week. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't be mean. I'd just be, be chatting and, and mentoring them, right? And then the next week you'd see those guys almost all, I can't think of one time I saw the same three guys on the list the next week. And it, 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 they just needed somebody to say, hey, check it out, man. You need to try to get involved because this is what people are saying. Yeah, and I, I think something that, that came up this week, it was very, very clear. I mean, Mike Glover has talked about it before, like either you're an asset or a liability. Mm -hmm. there's, no, there's no real middle ground, asset or liability. And I think if you apply that to yourself in a team situation like we had this week, you said to yourself, okay, uh, how would my peers review me? Like we didn't get a chance to, to do that. We well, actually we talked about it. Yeah, yeah we, we ran did. out of time. But, yeah, yeah. But I think everyone wanted to be seen as an asset. Yeah. Um, and it was really important because when you come to a class like this and you make the investment, and let's face it, all training is an investment and you, you have to place value in it and you realize, wow, I'm getting this out of it. You don't want to be seen as the liability because then it, you could look back on it 10 years from now and say, wow, everyone said I was a liability. I guess I, I must have failed, you know, uh, or I didn't succeed. But that's so important to constantly ask yourself, am I being an asset or am I being a, a liability? And in that scenario where there are so many high performers, like imagine what it would be like if everyone sees themselves as an asset because they truly are. I mean, now you take a, a bunch of individuals that uh, wanted to do things on their own. They realize that they're stronger together, which in a bug out scenario, I mean, in the hypothetical, we gave them a set number of miles. And I really don't think that they could have carried all the supplies they needed individually uh, in a sole you know, survivor's perspective, like to get through the scenario. Uh, they realized that they had to fall back on each other and they had it to, they had to work as a team, right? And, and that's really like, a, you want a team of assets, not a team of liabilities. I think that would be a good addition, a little bit. Uh, we did some of it, but- Solo bug out? No, I, I think team building exercises early on to mm -hmm. establish that team where 
you give them tasks that they just can't accomplish alone, right? I, I think that might be a good a good addition. And we did a little bit of that with but the tripods. Yes, right? yeah, with yeah. the tripods. Yeah, um, yeah, that was kind of cool seeing yeah. how uh, seeing people challenge each other and say like, "Oh, let's see how many people we can hang from this tripod." And yeah, they realize yeah. that this old school, you know, bushcraft wilderness skill that I brought to the table might have a, a purpose in, in the the bug out scenario. Yeah, and we we made it a team event too, and that right. one, that one team with the three females crushed it. Right, mm-hmm. they, they did it really well. Um, yeah, the, the leadership thing is always very interesting to me because I always like to watch people and see how they handle being in charge. And you'll get the guys that'll be like, uh, give me three volunteers to go over here. I'm like, man, you just got to go. You, you, and you, go, you know? And uh, that you, you went in charge, be in charge, right? Um, what are you writing down? <laughs> uh, so do you remember, I think I think one of the craziest things that, that we saw this week, and I, I think the the... I think the the listeners need to hear about this because wait, 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 like is that what Oh yeah. yeah so we like you said earlier we we had a list of hey on Friday because the we had a schedule we had all these things scheduled but yesterday we had talked and we said hey these guys really did well they crushed it they put the effort in they took it seriously let's let's do Friday shooter's choice what do you want to do Land navigation, primitive weapons, uh, more survival, more. We had a huge list. Yeah, cricket cakes. Cricket cakes, which <laughs> we didn't get to do. Damn it. The secret ingredient. But um, one of the things was more medical training, right? So we did medical training today. Go. Yeah, so so a lot of people, you know, you carry medical kits, you carry, you carry tourniquets, you carry chest seals, you carry uh, wound packing material. And one of the items that you often find when you, you go to like a – a store that's selling medical kits, especially for shooters, you always hear about like the nasal pharyngeal, right? You hear about these these airways that that are going in, and yet I don't know many people that are willing. And this is the most amazing thing that I saw today. I don't know many people that are willing to say, "Yeah, stick that up my nose." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know how many of those went down people's noses yeah, today. Right. And it was hilarious. Like we got some great footage of it, uh, you know, but. People are like, yeah, whatever. It, it, it is what it is, and they they saw it. Like they had a chance to say, I've done that before, yeah. which is really really important. I mean, if you're carrying kit and you've never used it, can you really say that you you own the skill? You know, or are you going to have to learn on the fly? Which probably not the best time to 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 learn how to use your gear when when the, you know the shit's hitting the fan. Yeah, yeah. So great course. Oh, a lot yeah. of lessons learned by instructors and students, you know, because you always learn when you teach stuff and you see, you know, group dynamics and all that. Um, we will come up with some curveballs next time that nobody will see coming because... Uh, it's only going to get better. Yeah, when when, uh, when me and you get together, we can come up with some creative stuff, right, and the other guys. So it, it's only going to get better. And I, I, I don't know where I'll do the next time. I'm looking for a location. So I, I, I need... You know, I put this up before, but I need like um, somewhat, you know, and I can put you in the woods for a week. Uh, but when you're teaching stuff and you're hitting them with a fire hose of information 12, 14 hours a day, I need you to get good sleep, good, at least for a little bit of the course, good sleep, um, good food, and, and, and I need you to be able to absorb massive amounts of information. So putting you in the woods for a week doesn't work. I need accommodation for about 18 people with instructors, right? 20 people maybe with instructors. And I need like, public land where we can do land nav and go in there and not be bothered. So uh, willing to pay. Uh, the camp we were at today or last week was yeah, perfect. It was great, yeah. Um, 
but but we can put this course on almost anywhere if I can get those parameters filled, right? Obviously, backside support is harder if you have to fly somewhere, but we, we could figure it out. We're, 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 we're pretty decent at training people. So I'd love to run it again. I like it. I, I It's a fun course to run and watch. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. So as we move, we're, we're here in... God, what the hell date is that? I got another long on course. 21st. I got another long on course tomorrow. So at the end of the month, we're moving up to Utah, me and Mike and a few of the gang, and uh, we're going to set up operations there. We're keeping an office here in Prescott. We're keeping, uh, Raul's going to stay here. He's going to open a fight gym in our warehouse now. And then we have some stuff going on in Montana. We've got a lot of courses going on all over the country. So next year, hopefully, I don't want to put out too much, but hopefully you'll come on board full time. And it's just going to grow and grow and grow and get bigger and bigger because I, I think we're onto something. I don't think anybody else runs the type of course we ran this Absolutely week. Absolutely not. Yeah, yeah. I've never heard of a course like that. And and it's it's the skill sets from a lot of guys coming together and, and caring about what they do and, and putting... You know, I've always said that when you when you... When you put effort into running a course and all those little details like the scenario and, and, and some of the other things we threw at, all those little details make the course so much better. Because we could have come in here and just went through the motions and taught some classes and people still would have liked it. But it's all the little details that really make it worthwhile, right? And I, and I think... Uh, that that's something we do bring to the table and, and that's why we get so many repeat customers for fieldcraft yeah and you know <laughs> it's interesting we had we had a, a repeat student in this class who actually was an instructor yeah 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 he came back and he wanted to come back and help you know so yeah. that's cool and he was we, an asset oh he was, Amazing he was great asset. so let me ask you this and put you on the spot sure so if if hopefully you come work for fieldcraft mm-hmm. you, I, i'm sure you've had lots of offers what is it about fieldcraft that that what what is i mean I know you're a gun guy, mm-hmm. and, and you, you, you share a lot of our interests, right? But there's got to be more to it than that. Yeah, so, I mean, I've been following all, all the different survival instructors, survival pages, and, and, you know, shooting pages. And, you know, I'll tell you, like, a lot of people over the years have been like, yeah, you and Mike Glover have to get, get together and talk. Like, you guys have a lot of, you know, similar interests. And, oh, you got you to gotta see what these fieldcraft guys are doing. It's kind of like what you did over here. Or, or I read this article, and it sounds like this one that I saw in the same magazine with the fieldcraft guys. Like, there's only so many times that a name can be brought up where I, I, I can say, all right, I got to disregard that one. I got to keep moving forward. And, and I realized, okay, with fieldcraft, with the whole mobility component and sitting down with, with Mike and Kevin and all the guys and understanding, like, okay, I've got the – the the wilderness background you know i've been doing this for for many years you know if you want to say professionally teaching as a survival instructor since 2007 um you know and with all the interest that fieldcraft has with like the the magazine and the travel and the product development and you know when i sat down with mike for the first time you know having dinner at his house uh you know a couple weeks ago 15 new products right right there yeah you know and and i was like by the way this is this and i oh you know i I thought of this and 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 mike is taking note and if you know mike lover like you tell him an idea and it's happening like yeah just like yeah. with that trip to the philippines so <laughs> so i think you know there's there's no doubt about it my creative side is is grounded in experience and i listen to people when i travel and i teach and i say well how could we make this better and you know i've worked with a lot of companies i've seen their processes and you know i i think fieldcraft is the ultimate vehicle 
to bring a lot of these ideas that haven't been in the survival space to the forefront because let's face it the survival community the bushcraft community it cannibalizes its own you know we forget that the ultimate goal is to make americans more prepared more ready and yet they're focusing too heavily on on finances right mm -hmm. like everything gets branded everything gets branded well everything that's branded that might be garbage, you know? And I, I saw like Mike handed me one of the, the outside the waist belt tourniquet holders. I'm like, man, this is actually really nice, mm -hmm. you know? And I carried yeah. it the entire course. Yeah. And yeah. you know, if it survives bouncing around on the outside of my canteen carrier, as I like throw the thing down at the end of the day, <laughs> like, like I'll throw my, my little, you know, two cents in there and say, Hey, that's a great product. So yeah. I love the idea that they're willing to, to take risk, right? Yeah. Take risks that I know in my heart. And I think Mike and Kevin and, and all the guys know are, they're needed in, in the outdoor space, so to speak. And, you know, ultimately I think philosophically, like we, you know, having dinner with them, hanging out with them, like we, we share similar interests. We we're going in the same direction. And, uh, I, I just feel like it's a genuine company that I feel like I could easily fit in with. So, yeah. so yeah. there's, there's no doubt I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not disappearing from the field craft community. Um, I just know that my my level of engagement and participation is only going to get greater and greater. Like if I have free time from work between now and the time that I decide to commit to full time, I guarantee I'm going to throw it in the, the field craft arena and say, look, let's run a class here. I'll fly out and do whatever mm -hmm. and we'll we'll crush it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I One of the things I love about field craft is um, you need money and you need to be profitable to run a company, right? But money's not the motivator for Mike. I'm not a money guy. Mike's not a money guy. Yeah, I'm you're, a freaking I'm a freaking teacher. I was gonna say you're a high school <laughs> teacher, so I know you're not a money. I've seen Mike go to the VA with yeah. envelopes full of fucking uh, hundreds of dollars and just hand them out to old Vietnam vets at Christmas. Uh, America. Like Mike's not a money guy. And I think that comes across that we genuinely, genuinely want to help people and train people and make American citizens more prepared for natural or man-made disasters. And I think that's the personality of company. And um, it, it, it has worked for us, right? So I'm really looking forward to the future. Yeah. And, and I, re I think we... we it's the tip of the iceberg right now. Mike has just Mike has put me in charge of medical training, survival training, mobility, all the stuff in Montana. Right, and mobility is uh, off-road driving, defensive driving, horses, motorcycles, snow jet skis, snow, snow. <laughs> like I was like, oh my god, yeah. And I was like, okay, but it's super exciting because there's so much material there that that has just not been done right, right. And everything uh, kind of comes around bug out, right? Right. Bugging out in a vehicle, bugging on horseback, bugging out with freaking horses and mules and all that piece, land navigation and all that. So there's so much material there. It, it, it's it's pretty exciting for the future. So I, I, I can't wait to see what's coming. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, I think people need to realize like, yeah, I, I come with a lot of experience. I come with a lot of, uh, you know, my own programs and whatnot, but when I eventually, you know, jump on board with Fieldcraft, it's one mission, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's not going to be like, this is Fieldcraft featuring Kevin Estella of Estella mm -hmm. Wilderness Education. No, mm -hmm. it's like Kevin Estella of Fieldcraft. Well, it's right? the same, like, but Mike, Mike has made a, 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 a determined effort in the last year or so to remove himself from the brand. It's not Mike Lover, it's Fieldcraft, right? right. And because uh, you can't be a single point of failure, right? It's a team. And if the team 
are vetted and they're all professional and they all have the same goal. No matter where you go for training, you get the same high standard of product uh, that we we provide. And we vet people heavily before we hire them. Yeah, I realized uh, and, that the past like 12 days has probably been like this. <laughs> oh, it's been vetted. You've, yeah, been, you've been vetted. Yeah, you're, you're okay. You know? <laughs> Actually, you taught a lot of classes. You worked your ass off, you know? And some of those classes I kind of thought, but I wanted to see how you brought your your... Number one, you're an educator, right? And you're a teacher and you're a really good teacher. Uh, but I wanted to see that the, the civilian way of teaching, right. like land navigation, because I'm, I'm military my whole mm -hmm. life. Yeah, so we, and we founded the difference with the UTM versus did, the MDRS, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, I really wanted to see that piece. And I, I, I think um, like, the, the, you know, Todd Hodnett's never been in the military. He's the top long range shooting instructor in the world, bar none, you know? Right. So to have that balance, uh, civilians, cops, uh, SEALs, uh, uh, Green Berets, right? whatever, you know what I mean? You, you need that diversity to get a good balance because me and Mike have done a lot of the same things in our career, but we, we need that. And you know, you've forgotten more about survival stuff than I'll ever know. But I want you to train me, man, when you get there, all right? Because <laughs> I've been through survival school and, and, and stuff like that, but... We had so many things to concentrate on. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. it wasn't a, a focus for us, and it's almost a lost art, right? Somebody said, I think it was Mike Jones, Grand Thumb said to me when I was up there, he's like, survival skills today were just life skills in the 1800s, right? If you don't know how to light a fire and build a shelter, you died, you know? But now it's like survival skills. So, so. so funny story real quick, because I have to bring this up. I, if if Grand Thumb is listening to this, and I hope he is, Mike Jones, yeah. big, big fan. Good dude, and, man, yeah, good and, dude, yeah. And I'll tell you, at the shooting class that I was at before, before I, you know, was teaching with the field craft thing, there's, there's this shoot house that I was in, and the final, the final target in the shoot house is this little kid that looks like Macaulay Culkin being saved or being held hostage by a guy that looks like Ron Jeremy. <laughs> and if you guys know Garantham's videos, number one, they're awesome. They're cutting edge. I think he's one of the, the best guys in terms of getting great content out there into the space. And he did a video where he's got like a Thompson submachine gun and you know he's saving uh, Macaulay Culkin from Ron Jeremy, but really it's Macaulay Culkin as Adolf Hitler, and he decides to take out Adolf Hitler and save Ron Jeremy, who's the mm -hmm. national treasure. So I just have to say that it was hilarious because I went into that shoot house, the final target, I didn't know that that's what the final target was gonna be. And for a split second, you know, I, I shot the shot Ron Jeremy, but then I looked at it, I'm like, wait a minute, that's the target mm -hmm. that Grand Thumb peppered. I was like, yeah. and, I, and at the end of the shoot house, supposed to be real serious, and I am dying laughing because yeah. I'm like, I <laughs> the first time I saw that was in Grand Thumb's video. Yeah, so, yeah, he does great videos. Yeah. Mike, Mike's up there now doing some content awesome. with him, so it's it's gonna be cool to see that. All right, brother, interesting yeah, week. Man. We we worked our ass off, man, but it, it was super. Uh, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed yeah, every too. minute of it, and. Uh, I really look forward to doing the next one. I tried to book that camp again in October, but but I can't get in, so I'm looking for another location. And uh, I know you're busy, but if we can bring you back out in, between now and, and when you come out full time, um, there's too many people in the East Coast, man. You need to move west. <laughs> that, that That is the plan. And I mean, I'm going to try to secure some locations for Fieldcraft to come out to the East Coast. I know that a lot of listeners have messaged me and they're like, oh, are you going to you gonna go out west? Or is Fieldcraft ever coming out east? Mm -hmm. And I'm going to do my damnness to bring yeah. the survival component yeah, and out And even out for east. shooting, we, we haven't much of a, a footprint in the, the Northeast especially. And it, it, it's just, we need those facilities, right? And, and once we get established, our ultimate goal was to have like 10 locations throughout the country that we just surge to regularly in the same way we go to South Carolina. So we go for four days and we teach 15 classes like 
pistol, carbine, long gun, driving, defensive driving. We just do it all, and we bounce around. Because when you when you have your own facility, people have to fly to you. So a five hundred dollar course costs two grand because they got to fly in, rent a car, get a hotel, and all that kind of thing. And and it's it's better to have that satellite kind of kind of. Uh, way of teaching definitely but but you got to find the right facilities right so looking forward to the future man it's going to it's going to be super cool and uh i really appreciate your help this week and and it was so good to have you it made my week so much easier because i didn't have to teach everything (laughs) 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 but uh, it was it was great to watch you 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 have a really good way of teaching thank you and, and people really respond to you you know so uh Really enjoyed it and look forward to working with you in the future. Yeah, same here. I'm looking forward to joining the Fieldcraft team, and uh, I hope that I can, you know, give back to the community that I've learned so much from. Yeah, yeah, awesome. All right, that's a wrap, and thanks for tuning in. Until next time, stay alert, stay alive. 